Are consumer-directed health plans actually working? And what might CDHP 2.0 look like? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're pleased to be chatting with Daniel Wells, who is Executive Vice President of Business Development at Endeavor Plus. And what we're going to talk about today are some of the things that are new in consumer-directed healthcare plans, whether they're working, whether they could work better, and some self-insured plan tools and techniques. With that, welcome, Daniel. Thank you, David, and thank you for inviting me this afternoon. I appreciate you taking the time. Here's a good jumping-off point. For a long time, we've been talking about consumer-directed or consumer-driven, if you prefer, healthcare plans. Are they working? Are we stuck in Generation 1? And is Generation 2 coming? I'd say we're probably in generation 1.2. We just haven't got over that hump yet. And a lot of that is the tools that are going to drive the consumerism, the tools that have to be intuitive for the consumer to go out there and shop. And you have to hit them at that point where they need healthcare. People don't think about healthcare until they need it. So there are other tools coming on, and there's some of the good, the bad, the ACA. Some of that is that transparency tool that the carriers are being encouraged to produce. What are some of the things that you think are deficient in the 1.0 model? It's really there's no transparency in the ultimate cost of care. And when you're driving in the consumer-driven healthcare, people are coming off of the traditional PPO plans or copay plans into a high deductible health plan. So they're going from a 10 to a $30 copay into paying $100 or $125 for an office visit. And they don't have the tools to actually shop for that office visit readily available that's intuitive. If it's a lab or x-ray, that's a lo- that technology and those services are easy to shop for price. But when it comes to your primary care, that's a little bit more difficult. And there's not many people who are going to be shopping for a hospital at the moment of a heart attack either. So you really have to drive that provider. The physician and the patient is where we're going to drive consumerism. I know you study this a lot, and it's interesting that a lot of our conversations with people in the industry on the podcast center around the cost of care. But even as we're recording this just post-election, and we're looking at stuff in President-elect Trump's plan and some proposals that the House have planned, they have the same fundamental problem as ACA, don't they? They don't really talk about the fact that health insurance is expensive because health care is expensive. How do we get that awareness in the marketplace? I've been trying for years to try to decouple the health insurance and the health care and bifurcate that thinking because... Insurance is insurance. It's there to pay for the unknown, and healthcare is the services that are rendered. So you have to break that dichotomy. You have to break that thinking 
and that mindset and have people start thinking of their health insurance more like they do their car insurance as true insurance. You don't have your car insurance pay for your oil change, but you have your health insurance pay for your vaccine or that oil change, so to speak. So we need to drive that mindset to make sure that people are really taking care and making educated decisions with their doctor on what's the proper course of care. And once we start doing that and getting that conversation started within the doctor's office, that's really going to drive that conversation. And then people are going to then broach the subject of price. And especially when it comes to prescriptions, people just take whatever the doctor orders, so to speak, instead of asking about alternatives. And that's really prevalent when it comes to some of the biggest diseases we're seeing out there, which is high blood pressure and diabetes. There are different ways to control each of those. And until we get the consumers to start thinking about their bodies and their health personally that they can actually be educated on, where they can talk to their doctor as an equal, we're not going to get over that hump until people really start looking at of health insurance and healthcare separately and start that conversation with their provider on their healthcare. Are networks for the fully insured marketplace as we know them today sustainable over the long term? Not with the direction that the federal government is going on reimbursements in the Medicare and the states on the Medicaid marketplace. After the election, I actually reviewed President-elect Trump's platform, and he's really driving toward that value-based or that outcome-based reimbursement model instead of that discounted fee-for-service. And I always like to equate that to how many people have ever went to a jewelry store and paid full price. Every jewelry store has 70% off all the time, and that's the same as healthcare. Your doctor has to charge the insurance companies $300 to make $80. And that's the wrong way about this. We need to pay that doctor for the quality of care he delivers. And that's where the good part of the ACA has come about is driving toward that outcome-based reimbursement model. And that's what we've done is taken advantage of that and driven our tools and our plan design and everything else that we, we've done to try to encapsulate that and write on the coattails of what's happening in the industry. And I think that's where even the commercial carriers, which are a lot harder to turn, they have to head that direction as well. United Healthcare, I think, just they're just launched a reference-based pricing product. And to have United Healthcare move away from their provider networks, and they have one of the most aggressive detail provider networks out there in the country, for them to make that shift, you know it's going to happen in the marketplace. I know we talk a lot on the podcast about reference-based or metric-based pricing. Isn't there a tremendous burden for those of us who are practitioners on the consumer education part before that can really take hold in any meaningful way? The conversation has started. And the conversation has started, especially with those providers and facilities who are accepting Medicare patients and Medicare reimbursements. What we have done and what the industry needs to do when it comes to reference-based pricing is change and frame the conversation a little bit differently. Because if we can help not only on our self-funded plan, but the under-65 market, if we can help pivot away from that fee-for-service by working with the providers, and with the providers, when they work and they move their reimbursement model for their practices more toward value-based, they actually increase their Medicare reimbursement levels. So we not only are helping them move toward that, but we're actually helping them make more money in the, in the long run. And by doing that, we can actually start talking. You know, One thing about 
reference-based pricing or outcome-based pricing or value-indexed pricing is we don't know what the true relationship between cost and price in healthcare in this country is. And hopefully we can get there by shifting away for just the discount fee for service. Isn't part of it on the facility side, though? I mean, we've discussed the provider side, but as we all know, the facility side is where the largest dollar volumes of claims always comes from. Do you think that some of the inflated pricing at the facility level is due to the fact that they need the discount in order to attract networks and go out and sell that discount as a differentiator? It is that. And that's why you see the big provider systems, the big facilities, hospital systems consolidate. So they have a bigger impact on those discounts. They can drive up the rates. But again, that's the dichotomy of dealing with commercial carriers and the current environment. And we're shifting away for that. So so we just want to sort of sidestep that and not get caught in that old conversation. We want to change that conversation about outcome-based because that's where we need to go. That's where the rest of the world is. And by doing that, they're going to increase their Medicare reimbursements, which has a tremendous impact. It is going to because the baby boomers are you know, 10000 a month or you know, switching to their aging out 65. So that population is growing, which means more of the care is going to be delivered to the over 65 marketplace, which means more dollars are going to be spent there, which means they need to maximize those reimbursements. And so with a reference base or value index pricing model, we're helping them get there. So, like I said, it's we don't even want to get into that conversation of the traditional legacy PPO carriers. We just want to sort of move on and pretend it didn't even exist. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Is there some kind of consolidated reference yet that indexes both price and quality? Because, you know, oftentimes on the medical side of the industry, there's that very strange inverse relationship. It's different than other industries where price doesn't equal quality. Do consumers still have to deal with separate indexes and ferreting out that information? Or is anybody trying to meld that into one kind of usable index? That's one of the advantages of moving that conversation is right now, CMS has come out with quality scores facilities. And, and people who are, are in the Medicare marketplace will see that when they're looking at five-star or three-star facilities. That differentiates that reimbursement level based on outcomes, accessibility, and location that is built into that algorithm that CMS has developed for the facility side. Typical federal government or typical government, we've had to punt for a couple years to roll that out on, on the provider side. And it's really getting the AMA and all the stakeholders around the table to agree, how are we going to measure our quality? 
but it's going to happen on the provider side. What I heard right now is probably Q4 2018 is when they're going to start rolling out the beta programs. I know that President Trump's his healthcare plan really drives this further. So hopefully we can you know, get more focus on this and get quality scores on the provider side. Now, there are third-party companies out there that do provide the quality scores, but it's better if we all get on the same measuring stick, so to speak, so we can actually drive the outcomes. So the competitive nature is how do we educate our members? How do we drive consumerism? while controlling costs at the same time. Because if you have an educated consumer on the back end, that's going to really pay dividends when you're trying to control costs and spend your dollars wisely when it comes to healthcare. About the only place today that consumers seem to intersect with the healthcare process is when they're starting to use their HSAs. All the plans I've seen coming out of both the House and the President-elect call for expanding HSAs. Is there anything else that we'll get? Because I know the goal is getting consumers engaged and Obviously, you're a lot more engaged if you're not paying with somebody else's money. From what I've heard and the stuff I've read is they want to expand the HSAs so you do not have to have a qualified high-deductible health plan in order to have an HSA. That's going to have to take a lot of education because then you're still giving some free dollars out to drive behavior, and that doesn't work. I'm, so, I'm out on the fence of, of where, what they should do with the HSAs. My concept of consumer-driven healthcare is using that HSA, but funding it. So we deal with employer plans, and when we present, we always couple a qualified high-deductible health plan with the HSA instead of an HRA, health reimbursement arrangement, because it gives true skin in the game. That's real dollars that are going into the consumer's pocket that they need. They get to decide, how am I going to spend this healthcare dollar that my employer has given me? And when we give the tools, both with the mobile, with the millennials, with the mobile capability and online web-based capability and intuitive, easy-to-use tools, we can start driving that consumerism. But when you have a $10 copay and you have free money to pay for that $10 copay, it's hard to affect change because that $10 copay represents no relationship to what the cost of that care or the price of that care is that you just received. Oh, sure. We've said for a long time, when you get them by the wallets, their hearts and minds will follow. And that's certainly true. Then you're engaged. Something else we're hearing an awful lot about out of Washington, especially with the new Republican takeover, is the notion of being able to sell across state lines. I know people are of varied opinions on that. What's your take on that and what effect it might or might not actually have? In the self-funded marketplace, and when you're dealing with multiple employer welfare arrangements, MIWAs, that's really going to benefit. So it's going to allow us to do more association plans and really expand what you can do in the self-funded marketplace or partially self-funded marketplace in that mid-market. It's going to open up that market tremendously. When it comes to the fully insured carriers, I don't see a tremendous advantage because you really have carriers, right? Nationwide carriers. You have Aetna's and the Humana's and the Cigna's and United's that have products that they sell the same product across state lines. And it's all the cost of care. Even if a healthcare or health company can sell across state lines, they still have to comply with state mandates. And I don't think the states were going to give up control of the state insurance departments of those mandates. So you're still have to comply with them. Also, so what if I'm an insurance company in Kentucky and can sell a plan to somebody in New York? That cost of care in New York, I'm going to have to price that product for that cost of care in New York. So it's not going to really save the money 
that people are thinking about on the premium dollars either. Are networks going to get skinnier? Are they going to disappear altogether? Or are you going to be able to create your own personal networks? I mean, if we move to a more universal reference or metric-based pricing system, are networks even still relevant? No, they're not. You know, we have an, an internal discussions within our company here, and we think they're gone in five years. I think it's going to be a little bit longer, and you'll see narrower networks on the smaller commercial business and the individual business to try to control that cost. There'll probably be the, especially the individual under 65 business will probably be the last market segment to transition to reference-based pricing or outcome-based pricing because it's such a volatile market and they can't really affect utilization. But on the other, the larger carriers, the large companies out there, the 85% of the Fortune 500 companies that self-fund, they definitely want to move away from this discount into the reference-based pricing because it really gives that visibility, again, in the relationship between cost and price. And it starts opening that discussion to make sure that we have in this country the work, you know, the, the healthcare industry, the, the doctors, the providers, the nurses, that they're all making a, a good living and they're making a profit and they're happy in what they do. And that will drive initiative and innovation in this marketplace. In the minute or two that we've got left, one of the things we always like to ask our guests is where they see the future. What are the coming changes that practitioners need to be aware of? I really see right now in the marketplace, commercial carriers, whether it's going to be a Cigna or a Humana with their level, or even Aetna just rolled out one, their level funding program, which is sort of a quasi self-funded type program. But then I'm dealing with a lot of the stop-loss carriers that are really trying to drive into that mid-market for stop-loss. So the 25 to 150 life you know, companies that are traditionally fully insured, we're trying to transition them in more of a self-funded or at least they participate in the risk. And you'll see that a lot, like I said, with United, Aetna, and Cigna. They're pushing these level-funded programs. That's where we see tremendous, tremendous growth. And then it becomes how do you affect those rates and maintain those rates if you have bad claim years. And so there's a lot of initiatives out there in the marketplace that people are exploring, whether it's using the capital markets to help finance healthcare, which is a, which is a new thought, or issuing mortgages to the big companies or the stop-loss carriers to actually amortize those large claims. Sort of protect that risk leveling in that smaller base, stabilize the rates, and then or mitigate the risk and stabilize the rates is what that's going to do. But that's where we see, and that's, that's where I've really focused here in the last two years is on that mid-market and that transition out of the fully insured plans. Daniel Wells, Executive Vice President of Business Development. And of course, Daniel, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Again, thank you, David. Thank you for the opportunity. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.